Welcome to the SLP Talk Show. Real talk with Carrie about stuff that really matters. Hey, it's Carrie, your fast-talking, speech-therapy-loving host. While you are driving, cleaning, exercising, or whatever it is you do while listening to podcasts, I'm going to be chatting about pediatric speech therapy stuff. But I don't want our time together to feel like work or be boring. You already work enough, and you already have enough boring stuff to do in your life. So let's get going and have some fun. Hi, welcome to the 19th episode of SLP Talk Show. I'm Carrie, and I am here with my favorite quinquagenarian. Wow. <laughs> what the heck is that? Uh, yes, this is this is your your um, vocabulary lesson. Oh, okay. Gosh. A quinquagenarian is a person between 50 and 59. <laughs> wow. I learned something new. Yeah. Okay. So now I'm going to, instead of doing, this is our stump the chump. Okay. Oh, this um, is stump the chump. Yeah. So um, I'm going to, uh, you're going to tell you me. You always got to throw something at I me. I always it's have to, th- I know Jim has no idea wall. what we're going to talk about. So what do you call a person who is between 10 and 19 years old? Any idea? Um, silly. I don't know. <laughs> yes. It's a denarian. A denarian. Yeah. 20 to 29. Vicinarian. Vicinarian. Yes. 30 to 39. You might get this one. What is three? Trinarian. Tricinarian. Tricinarian. Yep. Okay. 40 to 49. Quatronarium. Well, think, well, quad. Quadinarium. Quadragenarian. Quad. <laughs> These are multisyllabic words. Okay, we're going to finish it out. 60 to 69 is a sexagenarian. Okay. 70 to 79. Uh, septuagenarian. Very good. 80 to 89. Octogenarian. 90. I remember that from your movie. Yeah, 90 to 99. Uh, Noventobarium. <laughs> it's nonagenarian. Nonagenarian. And then 100. Centarian. Yeah, centenarian. Oh, yep. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Isn't that fascinating? Well, maybe you don't think so. <laughs> so you and I are qua- uh, quink. Quinquagenarians. 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 Yes, we are. Yes, we Uh, are. (laughs) I'm already tired. I know. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Thanks for joining us. We'll see you later. (laughs) See you later. Peace out. (laughs) Oh, my goodness. Okay. Okay. So, I stumped you. Definitely. But you learned some new stuff. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Well, I don't know how much that I'm going to retain. Oh. You know, maybe know. if you gave it to me in a handout or something. Or maybe multiple choice. Yeah. You, I bet you could get it now. Can you email me it I will later? email you. Yes. Thanks. Yes. We share an office and I will send you an email. Okay. Yep. All right. Okay. All right. So we are going to talk today about something that we haven't talked about yet on the show. Uh-oh. Oh, it's good. Oh, it's, it's good. It's not bad good. I mean, it's not bad. It's good. It's not bad. It's, it's bad good? It's bad good. No, it's not bad at all. It's oh. all good. But I want to talk specifically about early intervention. Okay. Okay. Because I actually just did a, a consult with an SLP who lives in a different state, and she was just wanting to ask me some questions about speech development in toddlers. And so, anyways, sure. I just got off a Zoom call with her, and we were. She was asking me specifically about early intervention, and um, she had some questions, and uh, it just got me thinking that I'm not sure this is common knowledge. So, early intervention programs are available in every state 
here in the United States, as well as in most of our territories, okay? So every state and most of our territories have a birth to three early intervention program. Okay. And birth to three programs are for families of children from age birth to 36 months okay. who have um, disabilities, who, who are who meet uh, the requirements um, for eligibility in their state, okay? okay? So I just thought I would talk a little bit about this because, again, I don't, a lot of times we wonder why aren't families seeking out help earlier? Why aren't the pediatricians, you know, telling families about uh-huh. this? And so I, I want everybody to know that your pediatrician does not have to make a referral for an early intervention evaluation. Right. Okay. Anybody who has concern about their child's development mm-hmm. uh, can self-refer. Okay. okay. So that's what I want to make sure because I think a lot of times uh, families finally get into early intervention and they're like, gosh, I wish I would have started sooner. And when we, you know, ask, you know, well, you know, yes, it, it, you could have. And they say, well, my pediatrician wasn't concerned. You know, right. even though I was, they weren't. So if you have any concerns at all, if you're a parent or a caregiver uh, and you have concerns, just know you can self-refer to your state's early intervention program. Yeah. Okay. So we uh, live in Missouri and in Missouri, uh, our birth the three early intervention program is called first steps right you knew that right mm-hmm. yep. there are other states in the united states who also call it first steps indiana okay. kentucky mississippi there might be others but those are the ones i know of who also call their birth the three program first steps uh in kansas our next door neighbor uh their uh early intervention program is just called infant toddler program so it's usually okay. like johnson county infant toddler program or oh, wyandotte okay. county infant toddler program so they just kind of do it by county is it all usually broken down by counties like um, is it usually run through well county it, it it kind of is but like even here in missouri when you get into rural missouri uh there might be 10 counties in one area in like a district right right okay. so in missouri they're called system points of entry s-p-o-e so we call them spos yeah. so like kansas city missouri we have our own spo because there's enough population but you sure. get into the central part of the state gosh yeah. there could be you know eight counties that are in one system point of entry okay. so it just depends um in iowa it's called early access okay that's what the birth to three program is called in minnesota it's called help me grow Help me grow. Yeah. Michigan is early on. Early on. California is early start. I'm okay. just picking the ones that I, I think they have uh, good names. Uh, Nebraska is early development network, EDN. EDN. That's what they abbreviated it as. Okay. I love Georgia's. Okay. Babies can't wait. Oh, nice. Isn't that great? I think I've, yeah. Have you heard that? Maybe? Yeah, I've, I've, I've seen that before. Yeah, yeah. But my all-time favorite. Just, just I, in orders or whatever. Oh, sure. My all-time favorite is Oklahoma. Okay. Theirs is called Sooner Start. Uh, How clever is that? That is cool. Isn't that clever? Yeah. So I've always loved Georgia and Oklahoma. So every state has a birth to three program. You can self-refer uh, to that birth to three program, okay? Mm-hmm. And you can get online and you can just Google early intervention program, state of Georgia, you know, right. early intervention program, state of Missouri, and you should be able to find information there. So what I want to talk to you a little bit about today is the different approaches that we can use as providers in early intervention, okay? I have been an early intervention provider for a long time, for over two decades. So Mm -hmm. I've seen our state here in Missouri kind of uh, shift um, from one approach to another approach. So um, the way services used to be provided is using a child-focused model, okay? So I'm gonna talk to you about what that looks like. Um, another way uh, that services could be delivered would be using a parent-focused model. And then we have an interaction-focused model. 
So let's start with a child-focused model. When the early intervention provider uses this model, uh, that provider is uh, giving these direct services directly to the child. So the early intervention provider could be a speech-language pathologist like me. Okay. Could be a physical therapist, could be an occupational therapist, mm-hmm. or could be uh, what's called a developmental specialist. Okay. So uh, typically those are the, the common providers in the early intervention program. So uh, what it's going to look like is is the provider is going to uh, come into the natural learning environment, which is usually the home. Mm-hmm. Could be a daycare center, could be right. grandma's house, right? right. Wherever the, the child naturally is. So it's not a clinic-based program. We provide services in the natural learning environment. So the provider will actually kind of have a lesson plan, right? They will plan ahead of time what it is they want to work on with the child, and they usually pack a bag of toys of materials right you remember those days yeah. when i used to yeah, you had a bag with your yep, name on i had it a toy bag said miss carrie on it yep. right and i would pack it with different toys depending on you know what child i was going to go see because i had this lesson plan if you will so um, i had to pack the materials so that i could provide uh the uh, the therapy or the intervention directly to the child so let's talk about pros and cons of a child focused model The pro is that while we're there, it does provide enriching learning opportunities for the child, right? If I Mm -hmm. come in with these great toys, developmental toys, activities for that hour that I'm there or 45 minutes that I'm there, that child is well stimulated. Right. So sure. that's that's a definite pro. But there are a lot of cons to using this approach. So let's go through these. Uh, one is the use of the toy bag by, uh, by the professional. So while it, you may think, oh, but that's a good thing to bring in toys and materials. The problem is, is that parents, when they're observing this session, they view the toys as being essential for their child's learning and development. Okay. So it can actually send a message to the parent that, ooh, I need to go buy those fancy toys, right? I need to buy those. Because they're like the tools for learning. Yeah, they're like the tools for learning. They're like, oh, apparently the reason my child is struggling in their development is because I don't have the right stuff, Mm. right? So what parents tend to do is believe that the magic is in the toy. But see, the magic isn't in the toy. The magic is in the relationship. The magic is in the interaction between the adult and the child. Well, it's easy to get... I guess connected to something tangible too. Tangible, abs. You are so you are spot on, and so that that's one of the concerns is we use this toy bag, and then at the end of the session we pack all these great toys up in a bag and we take them away. So now the parent thinks, oh, well, I need her to come two or three times a week then, because if the only time learning happens for my child is right. when that bag of toys is here yeah, and she only magi- comes once a week. The magic bag. Yeah, the magic bag. If it's only here once yeah. a week, then. Right. I need her to come more often, right? So that's where then parents get this idea that I need more services, right? More services, more therapy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, so that's one con. Another con of this approach is that the the parent or the caregiver is learning primarily just by observing. So I always call Mm -hmm. it, it's kind of like learning through osmosis. Like when I used to bring in a bag of toys and I would sit on the floor with the child and I would engage primarily with just the child, the parent may or may not be in the room. Sometimes parents felt like, oh, maybe I the child would focus better if I'm not in the room, right? So maybe mm-hmm. they'd go do laundry or go, you know, to the kitchen and do something. Um, but so if they were observing the session, usually the parent was sitting on the couch or, you know, sitting at the dining room table mm-hmm. or something. So if they were observing what I was doing, I wasn't directly coaching that caregiver on the strategies I was u- using. So the assumption was that parents would just observe me and then be like, ooh, I should interact with my child like Miss Carrie does. Okay. Like yeah. learn through osmosis, mm-hmm. right? Uh, and so as we now know, uh, that, that approach isn't very effective, okay? Learning through osmosis isn't an effective way to learn new skills. Because you're not intentionally 
teaching it. That's right. It's not explicitly being taught or intentionally being taught. All right. Another con is it sends a message that the child needs something that only a professional can handle. Mm, So it sends a message that, oh, parents can't teach their children. We need this specialist from the early intervention program to come in and work with our child. Right. Um, Another con is that the parent often leaves the room. And the reason they usually do is because they'll literally say he tends to focus better when I'm not in the room. Right. So he he wants to, you know, interact with me and he should be focusing on you. So I'm going to go and they excuse themselves. But here's the deal. Um, We need the child um, to interact with the parent. We want the child to interact with the parent. And if the parent says, but he focuses better when I'm not here, what I want to know is what does he do when I'm not here? You know what right. I mean? They're making it all about me and the child. So they're placing this, the most important relationship as being between the provider and the child, whereas the most important relationship is the lifelong relationship between the parent and the child. Right. The relationship I have with the child as an early intervention provider is a temporary relationship. So I would never put that as being more valuable or more important than the relationship between the parent well, and the inter- child. Well, it's intermittent. It's intermittent. It's fleeting. Yeah, it's temporary. Okay. Whereas with a parent, it's lifelong. And then the last con of the child-focused model is that the professional often leaves homework. So they will literally write out like, okay, I want you to read this book three times or I want you to do Mm -hmm. this puzzle with your child every day. So they'll leave like homework. And what we do in early intervention instead of leaving homework is we should embed strategies into already existing routines. So... We call that embedded intervention. When you think about the word homework, would you agree, Jim, it indicates doing something extra? Yeah, yeah. It's not within your routine. No, it's, it's, it means then you have to set aside special time to do something extra with your child. Mm-hmm. And as parents, we both can attest to the fact that we barely have enough time. Think about when the kids were little. We barely had enough time in the day to do the things that absolutely had to get done. Right. And then somebody's going to leave you homework to do on top of that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, we don't ever want to use the term homework as providers. And I don't ever want parents to think they have homework. Well, don't you think, too, that when you do something like that, when you, when you set aside a time that's kind of, it's kind of contrived and mm-hmm. it's, Artificial. it's not going to be a real connection or a, a good connection, right. I guess, between the parent and the child because it's something that, okay, we got to work on this. Right, right. Ooh, we have 10 minutes before okay. we go and to I, grandma's. I got to get yeah. this done because I got to go to the store. I got to go, right. you know, I got to go pick up dry cleaning. I got right. all these things I got to do, uh, but I can, I can, I can fit you in, into right. my schedule right here, right now. Right. You know? and, and, that's and then the if they don't thing. sit down and do it, then it's like a complete failure. Well, then they feel guilty. And, and then the parent feels mm-hmm. bad. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, right. And then the child's just probably confused about what, you yeah. know. Why are we sitting down Why here are we doing, doing this? this yeah. You know? So what we would rather do is use your time running errands, you know, going to the grocery store, driving mm-hmm. to the dry cleaner, to embed strategies into that. Okay. And we'll spend some thoughtful time in, in other episodes talking about embedded intervention. But just okay. know that when you use a child-focused model, um, homework is left so the parent can practice you know, certain right. skills out of context. And that's just ha- not a very effective way to uh, help toddlers learn new skills. So, yeah, out of context means like you're just trying to do something 10 times in a row, right. thinking that they're right. going to then embed it into their 
like sentences or whatever. Right, right. Whether it's words or maybe, oh, we need to practice. Like sometimes it's, you know, kids maybe from their physical therapist in early intervention, they need to practice like sit to stand. Oh, well, I need you to sit down. Now stand up. Now sit down. Now stand up. And kids are right. like, why am I doing this over yeah. and over? It's like really <laughs> hard. Or, oh, we need to practice our stairs. No, we don't want you to practice stairs. It's if there are stairs available, these are the strategies we want you to use to get your baby to alternate right, gotcha. left, right, yeah. left, right, left. Not say, let's practice going up and down the stairs five times times because right. why would you do that right? right it's not it's not i always say if you're going to practice stairs the slide out in the backyard provides the best opportunity for repetitive stair practice because you go up the slide slide down go back and do it again slide down go back and do it again so that's how you can and build guess it what in. it's it's fun. Oh, geez. Okay. So you've got it, uh, Jim. So child-focused model is the first model. The second model is called the parent-focused model. Mm-hmm. And when we have a parent-focused model, the child may or may not even be in the same room. Really, this is about parent education. Okay. okay. So like um, it, it could be just a parent, but like there's a program called Parents as Teachers, which really mm-hmm. focuses on parent education. When you go to the pediatrician's office for your well baby check, let's say you take your 12-month-old you know, baby or your 18-month-old child to your pediatrician they uh whether it's the nurse nurse practitioner doctor whoever they often will give you a handout of milestones at this age they'll mm-hmm. be like oh here's or here's some information on potty training right so they just right. hand you a packet or here's information on what babies do from six to nine months and they just hand you all these handouts that's right. parent education um you know they might uh, somebody might recommend a book to you like remember gosh when we uh, when i was pregnant with our kids it was called what to expect when you're expecting mm-hmm. you know and the pediatrician would hand you this copy of this book like right. right so that's all parent education okay so the pros and cons to this model the pro of parent focused model is that it does focus on parent education so that's always going to be a pro right because we always want to educate parents most certainly mm-hmm. but we're going to talk about the big difference in the next approach is we're going to actually do something called parent coaching which Uh-oh. takes it a step further than just education okay, okay? so gotcha. parent education which is a positive and what do we educate families on well we like i said we can discuss you know written information regarding child development uh we could talk about uh community resources you know like maybe there's story time at your local library mm, that the family okay. didn't know about or okay. maybe there's you know um swim time in the kiddie pool at your local you know uh, uh pool so um and then it could um provide other support you know that that may be needed by the family so the cons to this approach is that the information provided on child development may be kind of difficult for parents to put into practice meaning okay so these all look like great strategies or this is great information but I still don't know how to implement it right, right. I don't I, I, I nobody because there's no coaching happening right it's just well, flat out information from what I remember about the parents as teachers person that came to visit us um, was that it it just overwhelmed me with like I have 50 things and I'm like I don't remember what she said about this or that right right. too much education right well yeah Yeah. I mean Mm -hmm. it's because it's you know, the one time or two times that they came in like a year, you know. Well, no, she came, like I think, once a month because Aaron had some concerns, you know, okay. in his development. So she did come Maybe monthly, I was only there for a few yeah, of Yeah, I then. was there for most of them. But I just, I too, and I'm, you know, I specialize in this. And I remember feeling overwhelmed with the number of handouts and the mm-hmm. number of things, you know, to focus on, you know. So, right. yeah. The other main con, though, is that information that is provided on child development is often what we would call too generic. So it may not address the specific concerns or the specific priorities of the parent, right? right? Because every right. child is developing at a different rate, yeah. you know, as, as so families have. it's all have, generalized. It's way too generalized. So you take potty training, go, oh, here's a handout on potty training. 
well, that's great, but this doesn't apply to my child. You know, my right. child does these. I've tried these strategies and they don't work. So what do you want me to do now? Right. Oh, we'll just do them. We'll read it harder. I mean, what do you do? You know what I mean? Like there's nothing. There's nowhere to go from there. Read right? it over and read over and over and over and hope that something <laughs> clicks eventually. So that is parent education. But uh, the third model is the model that we all should be using in early intervention. And states have been systematically shifting from the child-focused model to this interaction-focused model. Mm -hmm. My hope is that every state is now here. I don't think they all are, but uh, states should be uh, moving to this interaction-focused model. So in this model, the professional focuses on parenting. In the parent-focused model, they focused on um, the parent but now we are focusing on the verb parenting. It's on parenting. the interaction okay. between the parent and the child, okay? So what we're going to focus on now is those everyday routines and interactions between the parent or the caregiver and the child that will actually support child development. So let's talk about pros and cons. There's a lot of pros to this approach. Number one, the parent and the professional partner together. Okay. There is nothing more important than this, right? My, my favorite uh, a way to kind of uh, talk about this is that it takes two to tango, mm -hmm. right? I am the expert in child development, specifically communication, right, as a speech-language pathologist. But you, as the parent, you are the expert on your child, right. your family, your routines, your culture, and your concerns. Right. So, yes, I am I am an expert in something, but I am not the expert on your child, your family, your routines, your culture, or your concerns, right? So that's mm -hmm. why it's very important. Parents oftentimes will defer to the early intervention provider as the expert. And they'll say, oh, well, I don't know anything about you know, X, Y, or Z, that's why you're here, because you're the expert. And I say, oh, you're right. I am the expert on child development, but guess what? You are an expert, right? So we always try right. to empower parents by helping them to realize their role on the team mm -hmm. is essential. This team does not function without the parents as the lead because right. they are the expert in everything else, right? right? I yep. simply come as an expert in child development, okay? Another pro is that it acknowledges the parent as the most important teacher. Again, what parents often do is view us as coming in and teaching the child new skills mm -hmm. or fixing deficits. That's oh, often how okay. it's viewed, yeah. right? So it's it's not the parent doesn't view themselves as being a pertinent person here. They're like, well, I've been raising him for two years and he's, he's struggling in his development. So right. clearly I don't know how to help my child. So I want you to come in and fix his deficits, right? Okay. To get him on track. Right. Frequently when you ask parents, what are your goals for early intervention? They'll say things, I want him to get caught up. I want him to be ready for kindergarten, you know? Right. So it's things, very generic kind of overall, like I just want him to catch up, um, to get on track, if you will. But what we try to do is always remind parents, you are your child's first and most important teacher. Mm -hmm. There will never be a more important teacher in your child's life than you, right? right? So we try right. to empower them. Uh, another pro, it increases the parent's confidence and competence. Early intervention is by definition a capacity building program. And when I first heard that term, I remember thinking to myself, oh, we're building the child's capacity to learn and develop. You know what? I heard mm -hmm. that. It's, an, it's a capacity building program. But that is not what it's referring to. What When we say early intervention is a capacity building program, it means we are there to build the parent's capacity to support their child's learning and development through everyday interactions and routines. Isn't okay. that cool? Yeah, that, that is yeah. cool. Capacity building. Uh, the other pro is that it helps parents embed specific strategies regarding child development into their daily routines. 
everybody doesn't follow the same agenda. Would you mm-hmm. agree? One family right. to the next. We all eat breakfast at different times. Yeah. Some families don't eat a, a, maybe a formal breakfast. They all sort of just graze at different times, sure. right? Everybody wakes up and goes to bed at different times, depending on work schedules and school schedules. How many siblings do you have in the home, right? right? There's so many variabilities. So when we talk about embedding strategies into the family's routine, this is highly individualized. So I yeah. always say, okay, Jim, tell me about a day in the life of um, Aaron um, in the Ebert house. You know what I mean? Basically meaning start with when he wakes up. Mm-hmm. How do you know he's awake? Who right. goes and gets him? How long does he stay in there before you go and get him? Like we want to know everything. We want to build kind of this framework for what Aaron's day, you know, or the child's day looks like okay. so that we can figure out because what will happen is if we don't understand the family's routines, we might say like I may as an SLP, I might use a strategy like this. I might say, okay, Jim, when you're reading books to Aaron, um, don't read every word on the page, you know, and I might give you strategies so for like how to read. Again. But uh, yeah, generalized, but I might give you strategies for reading books. But here's the thing. What if you don't read books to Aaron? Right. What if, what if mom does? Or what if, you know, that's just, maybe he doesn't like to be read to. So when I say when you read books, I'm assuming that's already part of your routine because I'm making a judgment that that should be part of your routine. Okay. Does that make sense? So yeah. I would never say when you do X, Y, and Z. First, I have to find out, do you so do you're, X, Y, so and Z? So you're asking a lot of questions then you know, just, just to find out yep. the routines yep what does your day look like what is a day in the life of whatever the child's name is so what does that look like if you're not asking questions as a provider then maybe you're giving advice that yeah, that know, may not is, be is not going to hit individualized. the mark. You yeah, know? yeah, yeah, so. absolutely. And and we'll talk about you know um, interviewing families. Um, if you ask a lot of yes no questions, it starts to sound like an interrogation. Right. So it's really important that our questions are open ended. So that's why okay. I'll say things like, "Tell me about." you know, what a day looks like for, right. for Aaron, you know, because I, if I say, um, you know, or, or just ask questions where it's a one word response, what time does he wake up in the morning? About seven. What do you do after breakfast? I go to, you see what I mean? So right, if it's just right. like one word responses, then I don't get this. What I want is a conversation. Right. I want them to yeah. open up and really think about part of, um, early intervention, part of coaching, and we'll do a whole, a whole, um, podcast episode on parent coaching, but part of coaching is getting parents to reflect on what they already know about their child's development. Mm. So reflecting okay. can only happen if you ask thought-provoking questions right. that, that force them to reflect. Sure. Okay, so let's finish this up. So interaction-focused model, um, I would say one of the primary um, uh, benefits of this approach is that it focuses on the parent-child relationship, mm-hmm. which is the okay. number one relationship, not the, the provider-child Right. And right. and the, the relationship between the provider and the parents, that's an important relationship. Mm-hmm. Right. Because we have to have a trusting, working, sure. um, respectful relationship. That's- right hinges on communication and trust, right? So that's important too. But the primary relationship we are there to foster is always the one between the parent and the child. Because okay, they spend the most time. Well, there. yeah, they're the most important teacher, right? right? So that's the 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 primary uh, benefit. Now there is one con to using the interaction focused model, and it's a big one. It requires more training and skills for the early intervention providers. See, we're oh, not taught how to do okay. this in school. Most right. of us in, now, if you are a, a recent grad and you took early intervention courses, you took a course on parent coaching, right. then you probably came out of you know grad school with you know some skills. Okay. But for someone like me, I graduated from grad school in 1995. I mean, we didn't early intervention was barely a known entity back then. Back right? in the 19s. In the 19s, as Aaron would say, back in the <laughs> back in the wild west. Yeah, he thinks we grew up a really long time ago. Um, 
But uh, when I first got into early intervention, we were using a child-focused model. So it was all about, basically right. all we did was change the location of services. We stopped providing services in the clinic to infants and toddlers. We mm-hmm. packed the clinic in a bag, stuck the bag in our trunk, drove to the family's home, and dumped the clinic floor out in the living room and called that early intervention. And we did that for years Okay, where we just changed the location. That's impressive. That, just just changed the location yeah. of services, but we didn't actually change right. how services were provided. Right. So right. with this shift to the interaction focus model, we should be changing how services are provided. Now mm-hmm. I'm no longer sitting on the floor, um, uh, working directly with the child while the parent observes passively passively from a couch. Right. Now um, I don't even sit on the floor unless the parent's down there. I will always follow the parent their lead, whatever they're however they're interacting with the child. Mm-hmm. I will let them lead. And I am there to um, uh, uh, be become um, an observer and a facilitator uh, okay. with the family. So, anyways, that is what I wanted to chat with you a little bit about today. And I think we'll just kind of continue this this talk on early intervention services because I mm-hmm. don't think um, a lot of uh, people are familiar with maybe the nuts and bolts of it. So it's one of my specialty areas. So I thought we'd dig in. Sounds good. Excellent. All right, guys. Thanks for listening to another episode of SLP Talk Show. If you're enjoying the podcast, we do appreciate uh, leaving us a review and let us know what you think. As you head back to the real world, remember to practice kindness and acceptance. Take time to stop and smell the roses. Self-care is very important. And if it's time for a mammogram, just do it. Early detection can save your life. Certainly saved mine. Until we meet again. Cheers. Cheers.